want to add my welcome uh, to you today. Um, my name is Lauren Vanhausen. I'm a bivocational elder here at Emmaus Road Church, and I'm pleased, and I count it, I count it a privilege that I'm able to bring God's Word to you today. I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of James, chapter 1, and today we'll be looking at verses 9 through 11. And as an indication of our honor and reverence for the perfect, infallible, all-sufficient Word of God, would you, I invite you to stand, if you're able, as we read God's Word. James 1, 9 through 11. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you will today make fruitful the proclamation of your word. I pray that you would give me boldness and clarity and that you would give each of us ears to hear the beauty of the truth of your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I was born and raised in Illinois for the first 48 years of my life before moving here to South Dakota in 2011. Growing up in Illinois, I was born and raised a Chicago Bears football fan. It's Bears football is in my blood. Um, there have been times, many times, that I wished I could root for another team. There's been so many disappointments, so many losses, so much heartache, but I just can't. It's the Bears are in my blood. They are my team. When I lived in Illinois, every Bears game was shown on TV in that market. So I would watch with hope every week. But since moving to South Dakota, there's another team, which will remain unmentioned, that dominates the afternoon TV schedule. So in order to be able to watch all of the Bears games, I subscribe to an NFL.com package that allows me to watch all of their games, but not live. I can only watch them after they've been played, after they're all done. I can only watch them right after, the, after they're completed. So now for any of you who have ever tried to watch a game, a recorded game, without hearing the final score first, you know that that is virtually impossible. Someone always tells you the score, or you see it rolling across the bottom of the screen. Somehow you find out the ending. So I don't even try. I don't even try not to know the score. I just look at what the score ended up being, and then I watch the game. Now, one of the things that's interesting about knowing the final score as the game goes on is that it puts everything in proper perspective right up front. If I know we're going to win, I'm not so upset with the first half turnovers or a missed field goal. And if I know we're going to lose... I don't get too excited about our 21-point lead in the first half. Or maybe you're one who 
binge watches a TV show or, a, or you watch a movie, and then you go back and you watch it again. And now, knowing the end, some of the scenes that didn't quite fit in the first place, now they make sense to you. You, you understand. You might say, oh, I didn't get that the first time, but now I see how that fits in. Or maybe you're like one of my uh, daughters-in-law that when she picks up a book to read, she reads the last chapter first and then reads the rest of the book. And because she read the last chapter first, she knows how, how all of the various plot twists are going are to fit into the ending. The truth is that knowing the ending not only gives us knowledge of the ultimate result, but it gives us information that informs and regulates our emotional and physical reactions to the circumstances that happen along the way. We react more appropriately to what is happening around us. We see things in their proper perspective. Our actions and reactions are filled with more wisdom and with more discernment. Today we come to James 1, verses 9 to 11, which upon first reading almost seem out of place. In verse 2, two weeks ago, we talked about meeting various trials and counting it all joy. Last week, Greg provided and talked to us about seeking wisdom in trials to meet all these various trials. And then next week, we're going to go to verse 12, where James talks about remaining steadfast under trial. But in verses 9 to 11, it almost feels like we're taking a left turn away from trials into the world of finances. But in fact, these verses fit perfectly right here. James provides us with two interrelated examples of trials of various kinds. These are two different but very similar trials that will test our faith. Two situations for which we need the wisdom of God to handle them well. And they are trials that impact every person in this room. There is no one who isn't impacted in some way by the trial of finances. As I read the scripture for today, I'm guessing that immediately everyone here, very quickly you put yourself into one of two categories. You probably almost without even thinking about it, put yourself either in the category of lowly brother or rich brother. This passage is relevant to all. Here are two financial circumstances for which we need wisdom from God. And the Lord in his gracious kindness towards us provides us with that wisdom. He provides us with perspective to think about and react to and interpret all of these things rightly and in faith. My outline for today is three points. First, the trial of poverty. Second, the trial of prosperity. And third, the wisdom of perspective. First, the trial of poverty. In verse 9 we read, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. First of all, it's important to note that this is written to a brother. This is meant for those who have put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. But it's not just for any, any brother, but specifically 
for a lowly brother. The word here means primarily, and especially in this context when it's set alongside the rich brother, it means someone who is not financially well off in this world. It's someone who doesn't have much when it comes to worldly wealth. It's someone who's probably living paycheck to paycheck, or maybe who is even without work, or at least without full-time work, or maybe debts are piling up and bills are going past due, medical bills are piling up, unexpected expenses are seeming to pop out of everywhere, every corner, and there just isn't enough money to get it all done. The financial pressures are getting heavier and heavier and heavier by the day. And there doesn't seem to be any light at the end of the tunnel. This is the lowly brother. The admonition that this scripture gives us for the lowly brother is to boast. Now when we hear that word boast, it probably quickly has a very negative connotation in your mind. Boasting is bad. And if we are boasting about ourselves, it is bad. But the boasting that's in mind here is not a boasting in oneself, but a boasting in the Lord. We see an example of this in Psalm 44, verse 8, which says, In God we have boasted continually, and we will give thanks to your name forever. So this is a boasting not in self, but in something else. It's boasting in our exaltation. The poor brother is to boast in the fact that things like Ephesians 2, 4 through 6 are true for him. There we read, But God, rich, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up raised up, exalted with him, and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The poor brother is to boast in who they are in Christ and what Christ has done for them. James says that the answer to this trial, the wisdom of God for this trial, is to focus not on what we don't have, but to focus on all we do have in Christ. And that sounds simple, doesn't it? But it's not easy. It's like trying not to think about an elephant when someone tells you not to think about an elephant. When the debt collectors are calling and there isn't enough money to pay the bills and your income is shrinking while your expenses are growing and day after day your financial woes are staring you in the face, how can I not think about all that I need? And that's a good question. But I believe that Jesus has a word for you today in what he had John write to the church in Smyrna, recorded in Revelation 2. There Jesus says to his church, I know your trouble and your poverty, but you are rich. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. If you are the poor brother today, I believe that God wants you to know that he knows. He knows your trial 
and your tribulation and your poverty. He sees your daily struggle. He is not ignorant of or indifferent to all that you're going through. He knows. He is aware. And He loves you. And He is right there in the battle with you. And He is encouraging you to be faithful in your current poverty. But Jesus also wants you to know that He doesn't see you as poor. He sees you as rich. I know your poverty, but you are rich. The temptation, the testing, the trial of poverty is that we would turn our attention away from all that we have in Christ and turn our attention to all that we don't have in this world. To that trial, James says, boast in your exaltation. If Jesus sees us as rich, as followers of Christ, and he does, we should shift our perspective to match his. And that raises the question, in what ways am I rich in Christ? The answer to that is far deeper and richer than the few minutes I have here to devote to that. But I want to share with you one practical way that you can keep the riches of Christ in the forefront of your mind. One of the things we often talk about here at Emmaus Road Church is preaching the gospel to yourself every day. It's a daily reminder to yourself of all that Jesus has done for you as one of his followers and all that he is to you in Christ, all that you are in Christ. Jerry Bridges in his book, The Discipline of Grace, says that to preach the gospel to yourself means that you continually face up to your own sinfulness and then flee to Jesus through faith in his shed blood and righteous life. It is daily reminding us of why in Christ we are rich. In his book, Bridges recommends five truths to preach to yourself every day, and I want to share those five with you. First, in Christ, you are forgiven. Romans 4, 7 to 8 says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Friend, in Christ, you are forgiven. Second, in Christ, you are not condemned. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In, in Christ, you stand uncondemned. You are completely free of condemnation. Third, in Christ, you are free from the curse of the law. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Friend, in Christ, the law has no more claim on you. Fourth, in Christ, you are made alive. Colossians 2.13 says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, 
having forgiven us all our trespasses. In Christ, you have been moved from death to life. And fifth, in Christ, you are holy and blameless. Colossians 1.22 says, He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Loved ones in Christ, you are not only forgiven, but the righteousness of Christ has been imputed to you so that God sees you as completely holy and blameless in his sight. As we remind ourselves of these truths every day, we will find ourselves boasting in our exaltation, regardless of our financial situation. Friend, we are rich in Christ. Second, the trial of prosperity. Now, if you're like me, this is a trial I could sink my teeth into. The trial of prosperity. Now, now this is one where I can count it all joy. Bring this trial on. Yes, this, uh, this is, I get this. Um, the trial of prosperity. But the trial of prosperity, it's kind of like, uh, it's an oxymoron, isn't it? The trial of prosperity. It's kind of, kind of like being clearly misunderstood or, or being pretty ugly. Um, it's, it's an oxymoron. But we don't often think of a, the prosperity as a trial. But that's exactly how it's presented, not only here in James, but throughout all of Scripture. Throughout Scripture, there is warning after warning of how wealth can draw God's people away from Him. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, we see a great example of this as God warns His people as He's about to bring them into the promised land. In the first part of the chapter, God tells them of all the good things in the land that he is about to bring them into. They're going to have plenty of good food to eat. Their herds and their flocks are going to multiply. Their wealth is going to increase greatly. And then in verse 17 and 18, God gives his people this warning. He says, beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. In Jeremiah chapter 9, God tells us how the wise man should think about his wealth. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man Boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. One of the trials that the rich in this world have to wrestle with is the temptation toward pride. And that's why here in James, the rich of the world are exhorted to boast not in their riches, but they are to boast in their humiliation. The word we find here for humiliation is the same root word we read in Philippians chapter 2 about Jesus, 
who though he was God, came to earth in flesh in the likeness of man. And in Philippians 2.8 we read, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The command in James to the believer in Jesus Christ who is rich is to humble yourself. Following in the footsteps of your Savior who humbled himself so that we might have eternal life. Pride was not the way of Christ and it should, be not, it should not be the way of the rich in this life either. So how does one who is rich in this world boast in his humiliation? How does he or she stay humble? Just as the poor brother needs to remind themselves each day of the riches they have in Christ, the rich brother should do that too. That's a good practice for the rich brother as well. But the rich brother also needs to remind himself of something else continually. And that is that they are in need of what only Christ can, can provide. Again, what Jesus has to say to the churches in Revelation is instructive. This time it is his word to the church in Laodicea. This is the neither hot nor cold church that Jesus says he's going to spit out of his mouth. He says he's going to spit them out of his mouth. And then in verse 17, Jesus tells them why he's going to do that. He says, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. They are lukewarm toward Christ because they think they have everything they need outside of him. They've forgotten that, in fact, Christ is all they need. He is the only thing they need. This is one of the temptations of riches. It was the temptation of the Israelites going into the promised land. It was a temptation for those in Jeremiah's day. And it is a temptation for us today. It is a trial for which we need faith and for which we need to ask God for wisdom. Proverbs 30, 8 through 9 is instructive when we think about the trials surrounding poverty and wealth. There we see, there, there the word says, Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you, and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Proverbs 30, 8 through 9, is the wisdom of God for our finances. Lord, give me only what I need. Don't give me too little, because that might tempt me away from you. And God, don't give me too much because that may make me forget my need for you. When's the last time you've prayed that prayer? God, don't give me too much. In other words, Lord, give me only what I need. Give me my daily bread because I desire nothing more than following you. If there is anything 
that would tempt me away from you, I don't want it, even if that thing is prosperity. Whatever economic state in which we find ourselves, the perspective of faith tells us that we must boast only in Jesus and the status that his kingdom grants us. Among his people, neither wealth nor poverty makes us better in his eyes. We must treasure him alone and nothing that the world has to offer. Third, the wisdom of perspective. In this text, James gives us two perspectives that we need to keep in mind as we seek to glorify God through the trials that come our way in our finances. Two pictures that reveal to us the final score, the last chapter of the book. Two truths that should help us put all of the trials of life in their proper perspectives. First is the perspective of the brevity of life. The reason given for why the rich man should boast in his humiliation is given to us in verse 10. It says, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. This is not a warning that the riches of life will pass away. It's not about the riches. The word says that he, he will pass away. The rich man will pass away. This is a warning about the brevity of life. When I first started my career as a CPA with McGladry Hendrickson and Company, which is now you might be familiar with RSM, we had a manufacturing client that was extremely successful. The owner was in his mid-30s, and he ended up selling his company for tens of millions of dollars to another larger company. Now, tens of millions of dollars is a lot now, but in the late 1980s, it was a lot. He was not even 40 years old, and he was set for life. And he built the largest, nicest house in the nicest neighborhood in town. Tammy and I walked through this house once, and I think it took almost an hour to walk through this thing. It was a mansion. It was huge. He had the house, he had the sports cars, he had all the toys, he had travel, he had leisure. And not even two years later, he was dead. James 1.11 says, So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of all his pursuits. This week, my sister-in-law's mother passed away at the good old age of 92, a long full life, but in the view of eternity, a vapor. 30 years, 60 years, 90 years, 100 years, we're all like grass, like the flower of the field, glorious for a moment, but not for long. Psalm 39.4 says, O Lord, Make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. 
Now, this truth is not meant to scare us or depress us, but it's meant to wake us up. If life is fleeting, and it is, then why would I put my hope in what is passing away? It's like going outside in the summertime in 100-degree heat and trying to eat an ice cream cone. You may get a few good licks in, but it just ends up being a mess. Rather, knowing the brevity of life, we should put our hope in what is lasting, what is eternal. 1 Peter 1, 24 and 25, using the same language that we find in James today, says this, All flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. It's the word of the Lord that remains forever. Let us boast in Christ and all that he is to us for all eternity. Second is the perspective of the surpassing worth of Christ. The trial for the poor brother and the rich brother, really, it's the same trial. One is tempted by the lack of wealth in this world, and the other is tempted by an, an abundance of wealth in the world. But the basic trial is the same. It's the temptation to take our, our attention away from the glorious Christ and to focus our attention on the things of this world. And James means to remind us, poor or rich, that there is nothing in this world that can compare to what we have in Christ. Imagine with me if we had a big scale here in the balance. On this side of the scale, the lowly brother places his lack of income and rising debts, a broken down car, rising costs for health insurance, utilities, unemployment, debt collection calls, credit card debt, rising grocery bills. And then we add to all that worry and arguing and the relational strife that often comes with lack and loss and grief and feelings of shame and unworthiness. This side is very heavy. It is. But then on this side of the scale, we place the surpassing greatness of the glorious Christ who has conquered death and the grave, and the scale flips. What was so heavy is now light in comparison to the glory of Christ. Paul said it this way, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but the things to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Now the scale is empty again. Now the rich brother starts placing his stuff on the scale. 
cars and boats and bank accounts and 85-inch TVs and 401ks and mutual funds and stocks and bonds and real estate and businesses and houses and vacation homes and travel, jewelry, success, image, reputation, status, all the things that seem valuable in this life. It, it, it's a pretty impressive haul. But then on this side of the scale, we place the surpassing greatness of the glorious Christ who won the victory and will reign forever and ever. And again, the scale flips. What seems so valuable pales in comparison. Paul said it this way, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. So poor or rich, whichever category you put yourself in to this morning, let us boast in Christ. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He is our Savior, and He is all that we need. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning and we acknowledge that you are all that we need. Lord, I pray for those here today who identify with the poor man, those brothers and sisters who are struggling, who the, the, the cares and the burdens of this world are bearing down on them every day. Lord, I pray that by your Spirit you might impress on them all that they have in Christ. They have all they need. And Lord, I would pray for those today here who identify with the rich brother, who struggle against the temptation toward pride, who struggle toward, against the, the temptation of putting their faith in the possessions and the glories of this world and ignoring the glory of Christ. Oh Lord, by your good hand, would you give us what we need? Would you help us to glory in you and you alone? By Jesus, in, in your name we pray, amen.